debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He's coming back to preach. I don't know, I don't know if I can make it through. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Good morning. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for the pleasure and privilege of being here. Uh, we pray for this congregation. I love this congregation. In the past, you might remember that I was in a way employed by you as I worked for uh, almost 35 years for RUF. And this was one of the treasured relationships through all of those years. Uh, be patient with your pulpit committee. I've been on one. <laughs> they can wear you out. Um, pulpit committees have a heavy responsibility. My friend Wayne Herring, who works with me actually, has often said a pulpit committee cannot get Pulpit committee panic. <laughs> when you panic, you tend to do wrong things. Pray for them. Be patient. And ask God to give them good direction as they seek the next pastor to recommend to you. I invite you to turn with me to the reading of God's Word. It's found in Luke, the 18th chapter beginning in the first verse. And we'll have in our reading two examples of the Lord's teaching about prayer. Your Bible might have in its heading at the beginning of the chapter what my Bible does, not a part of the inspired Word of God, but an indication of what is about to come, parables on prayer. And so we're about to read these two little lessons from Jesus on parables on prayer. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We read this of God's word with his honor and our sanctification in mind. So we read it carefully for understanding and for application. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he deny long over them? 
I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Parable number one. Parable number two. And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's pray asking God's blessing as we ponder his word. Would you, Father, give us understanding that we might love you more, serve you more carefully and dutifully. Spirit of God, be at work. For we pray asking this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, at the beginning, we have that little portion telling us that here are parables on prayer. And in the first parable, it seems to me quite uh, obvious what the Lord is teaching. And in the second, but the second seems to go off in a bit of a different direction. Parables on prayer. Number one in my outline is simply this, prayer. Do we have catechism people? Can anybody in the, in the congregation recite, uh, recite the uh, shorter catechism on prayer? It's really a good teaching tool, isn't it? What is prayer? Prayer is offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. What a, that's a great definition. This is prayer. This is what people of God do. We pray in the name of Christ for things agreeable to His will, to His honor. Prayer is often mentioned and demonstrated in God's Word, the Lord's Prayer. For example, in Matthew 14, Jesus went up into, the, up into the mountain to pray alone. Jesus was a prayer. He prayed. In Matthew, excuse me, in Mark 11, Jesus says that when we pray and ask, believe, and our prayer shall be granted. Pray, pray, and God will respond. Respond, pray. At the beginning, Jesus is telling them a parable to show that all, at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart as we read it. 
in Luke 18. In Acts 14, the disciples were praying and fasting. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul commands prayer to be without ceasing. Four or five times, depending on who you thought, who you think wrote the book of Hebrews, four or five times, Paul calls upon the brethren then and now to pray. Brethren, pray for me, he said. If the apostle Paul needs prayer, I think you do. If Jesus was a prayer, I think you are. Praying is something that we as believers do, don't we? And the Lord is emphasizing prayer in these two parables. I'm about to read to you a paragraph. Don't, don't, get, don't get labored here. You can handle my reading a little bit of a paragraph to you. It's one of my favorite paragraphs in all of the English language. And in just a moment, I think you will sort of agree. It really is a good, strong paragraph. We just quoted the catechism from the 1640s, London, Westminster Abbey. The source, the time of the Westminster Confession, the large and the short catechisms, and the book, the, the Directory of Worship, which documents to this, to this day constitute the Constitution. What a redundancy. Constitute the Constitution. Constitute the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. Well, what was it like? Wouldn't it have been interesting to be there? to hear the wranglings, the discussion, the Bible talk, day in and day out, meeting from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon, every day for these several years. What an assembly that would have been to attend. Let me read this paragraph. After Dr. Twist had begun with a brief prayer, Mr. Marshall prayed large two hours most divinely confessing the sins of the members of the assembly in a wonderfully pathetic and prudent way. Hang on. For the next two hours, I'm going to confess your sins to God. Two hours? After Mr. Arrowsmith preached one hour. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Then a psalm. Thereafter, Mr. Vines prayed near two hours. I can do a little bit of math, can you? And Mr. Palmer preached one hour. And Mr. Seaman prayed near two hours. Then a psalm. After Mr. Henderson brought them to a short, sweet conference of the heart, confessing seen faults to be remedied, and Dr. Twist closed with a short prayer and blessing. Do you want to say it or can I say it for us? Wow. Six hours plus of praying, two or more hours of preaching. They didn't do a thing that day. They were called to do some mighty work of creating 
the Westminster Confession of Faith, the large and the short catechism, catechisms and the directory of worship. Wow, they didn't get a thing done that day. Those people knew how to pray and they knew how to preach. Number one in my outline is prayer. Jesus said, let me talk to you about praying and what praying accomplishes in that parable number one. Because God will hear the importunate prayer of a real believer. One of my favorite men of all times was Dr. John Reed Miller. Has anybody ever heard that name before? I don't think I heard about him. Spent a lot of time with Dr. Miller in his later, latter days. Dr. Miller would take young upstarts like me out to lunch. I think the longest lunch I had with Dr. Miller was from about 11.15 to 4.15. That was lunch. <laughs> Dr. Miller taught me a lot of things, some of which I still remember. And here's one of the sayings of Dr. John Reed Miller. Seasoned Christians always pray. Do you always pray? Is prayer a normal, regular, spiritual discipline for you? Jesus said, Jesus said, when you pray, God pays attention. And God gives answer to the importunate prayer of the believer. Number one is prayer. Number two, though, I call the problem. I've got a little problem here. Jesus, in that second parable, you're supposed to be teaching me about prayer, but Jesus seems to do a right turn on me. It doesn't seem to be as much about prayer as it seems to be about these two men. And incidentally, the way they prayed. Note in verse 9 who they are, the Pharisee and the, and the publican or the tax gatherer. Here's a little quote, a Pharisee, a Pharisee, those who meticulously tried to carry out the teaching of the law. Their special stress was on tithing and their refusal to eat with non-Pharisees. I give you a hint already. Uh, I, I didn't know what was going to be in the bulletin about me, but <laughs> I was born in Kosciuszko. Don't take this in the wrong way. Take it only in the right way. I think I was born in youth fellowship. <laughs> I think I've spent a lot of my life smelling the air in church sanctuaries and fellowship halls. You have too. And you and I have a tendency to be old highfalutin legalists, don't we? We have that tendency, don't we? My guy, my person in this parable, the one with, with whom I identify most, and you do too, I think, is the Pharisee. 
the publican, a tax, a, a tax collector or custom collector on behalf of the Romans. The system was very open to abuse, to extortion and malpractice. They were generally hated and thought also to be ceremonially unclean because of their con a constant contact with Gentiles. Here's this man who might as well have had leprosy because no one liked him. I, I doubt that anybody in the congregation works for the IRS. <laughs> if you do, take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt, okay? <laughs> I'm not sure I'd like to be employed by the IRS. I'm not sure I like as much taxation as comes out of my supposed earnings. Do you think those people felt any differently back then? Especially because these tax gatherers at will could pillage from the people. Well, one was a very proud man, wasn't he? Proud men one man wrote, proud men exalt themselves as rivals of God. Take a look at how good I am, the Pharisee was saying. Take a look, I'm much superior to all these other people, the Pharisee was saying. Take a look at my credentials in the church, the Pharisee was saying. Verse 12 There's sort of a commentary on this kind of thinking in the Westminster Confession. I'll tell you my favorite chapter is the chapter 16 on, of good works. I think it is so helpful when it comes to sanctification. How are we supposed to be living? What does it look like? And they use a big super sounding word in that little section of the confession. Super irrigation. Super, well, it sounds sort of like you're, you're putting too much water in your garden, super irrigating it. But that's not what the word means. In the confession, the writers were saying very properly, there's not a single solitary thing that you can do that is above and beyond God's expectations. And as a matter of fact, in that same chapter, they explained to you and me rightly that there's nothing that you've ever done that in and of itself is qualitatively good before God. Well, what does that mean? They explain that even in the best things that you and I perform, at least our motives are mixed. You want me to think highly of you sitting in these pews today, don't you? I want you to think highly of me, don't I? When the time of worship is concluded, don't we? Super irrigation. And they say there's nothing, there's nothing that you do this side of heaven that is qualitatively absolutely pure in the sight of God. They're explaining something to us. Our absolute dead level best would only be in accord with God's expectations of us. 
But the Pharisee says, I fast a couple of times a week. The Pharisee says, I give and I give. Aren't I good? How good are you? How good do you take yourself to be? You see what Jesus has done for us? I thought, this is going to be a parable about prayer. The first one was, but Jesus does the right turn here to, to, to explain, really, it's a parable about me. And it's a parable about you. tax gatherer's prayer was very short. He says, God be merciful to me, the sinner. What a prayer. What a prayer. There you have it. What a prayer. One man said that all of theology is wrapped up in that one little bitty short prayer. Because the man is, is, is emphasizing who God is in his own heart. The man is realizing who he is before God. And he's even more specific than you and I are in the way we take a look at our sin, isn't he? I had a wonderful English teacher, did you? She, she was tough. 11th and 12th grades over yonder. My parents had moved to Yazoo City. If anybody knew about Ms. Naomi Parker, you would say, Bebo, I get it. I think she was 113 years old. She could have played linebacker for the Packers. She was tough. She made us learn sonnets and do all of those things. And she made us learn grammar, whether I speak perfectly with it or not. I come fairly close. <laughs> but she taught us clearly the difference between a definite and an indefinite article. And the right translation here is the one I read for you. The man says, I am the sinner. You and I tend to say, I am a sinner. But this man gets it. And he nails us. Here's my man. Here's the man who I really am. Not, no, the Pharisee is the way I act. The tax gatherer is who I ought to be. The one compares himself to other men and feels really pretty good about himself. The one knows where he stands before God. And he declares himself to be in great need of mercy because he is the sinner. And we have one or two of those sitting in the congregation, don't we? Is he you? <laughs> well, one is a proud fool 
He has to come to true repentance to confess himself before God, doesn't he? And don't we? And don't we in worship have an expressed confession of our sin? And do we often have a true confession of the sin that we committed? Not to not to cast myself in the Pharisees category, but I said something really stupid last night in a text to a friend. I said something just plain stupid. <laughs> Have you ever said anything just plain stupid? I do that. <laughs> Guess what I had to do this morning? Before I left the house, I had to ask him to forgive me for something for saying something just plain stupid. Are you ever plain stupid? Yes, you are. Let me just admit it for you. Because you are a sinner just like I am. And I'm coming to identify with the point of the parable. Number three in my little outline, the points get shorter. The points get shorter. Number three in my outline is the parable. Every man is more or less the Pharisee. But Jesus is pointing out that Whoever learns to know himself as God knows him, not as comprehensively as God knows me. But the further I go, the more I understand about me, the man who is understanding himself standing before God is more like this publican, this tax gatherer. And now I've switched teams. Have you switched teams? I first was on the team of the Pharisee, and in looking back, I identify with him. I identify with him. But the new team leader is this man who is the sinner. The Reformation, you might reflect on, agree with, assume. The Reformation was a time of the triumph of the publican's humility versus self-righteousness. Sola gratia, sola grace, sola fides, sola faith, sola Christos, Christ alone. Humility. And yes, you and I tease humility and how we got it. <laughs> but this man did have it, didn't he? Humility. It acknowledges its own sin. It acknowledges the magnitude of my sin. It acknowledges, therefore, the guilt. And it prays for the grace of God in Jesus, who is the only redeemer of God's elect. The catechism rightly says, the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. In his active and passive obedience, he handled it. As a result of his bearing the penalty of our sin, we bear the benefit of his righteousness, the active and passive obedience. Active and passive obedience. And God looks at you in Christ 
And one day soon, could be one day really soon for some of us, one day soon, God is going to say, well done. And your tendency is going to be mine. I'm going to say, well done. Well, God, you must be, you must be thinking about Mike McKelvey. You must be thinking about Todd Matoka. I won't mention my good buddy Jim Shull. <laughs> God, you, you must be thinking about somebody else. And he's going to say, no. I'm thinking of you because as you have come by faith to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, not only is your person perceived in Christ, but your performance is perceived in Christ. The old thing we learned in vacation Bible school, were you there? That little bitty book, page or two, black page, white page, red page, God sees me through the blood of Christ and he also sees my performance through the mediation of Jesus. What's the point? The point is, like Psalm 138, little bitty number four in my outline, and we're about to wrap it. Hang on, we're getting there, we're gonna land it. Hang on. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Jesus does something right at the end of this little parable that I find to be very interesting. He says that the one man goes to his house justified and not the other. Are you justified before God because of the meritorious work of Jesus, saved by grace through faith in Christ, in Christ alone? If we get it, here is a cure that Jesus offers up, a cure for spiritual pride and an offer for us to hang on to the gospel as the Spirit of God is at work in you, causing you to will and do of his good pleasure. It's all about Jesus. I like it. I like the right turn that Jesus did on me, causing me to have to think through his real point. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, Spirit of God at work even at this moment as people here, there, and yonder are worshiping. Spirit of God who is at work. Would you, sir, not only be changing hearts, but growing hearts, welling up with the love of God in Christ, that we might sincerely seek to honor, love, obey, serve you 
because you have redeemed us by that active and passive obedience. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.